Hello and welcome to Banking Transform. I'm your host, Jim Roos, owner and CEO of the Digital Bank Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. Doing good for the community, your employees, your customers, goes well beyond philanthropy. Organizations need to look within to embed sustainability and social responsibility strategies into their business model, their culture, and the people and organizations they interact with. Now more than ever, businesses need to think beyond profits and look at their entire value creation process to the world as a whole. What organizations will find is that there isn't just a moral obligation for business and organizations to behave responsibly, but a financial one as well. We are fortunate to have Theo Lau and Bradley Limer on the show today. They are the founders of Unconventional Ventures, which focuses on developing an ecosystem to address the unmet needs of consumers. They are also the authors of a brand new book, Beyond Good, how technology is leading a purpose-driven business resolution. Hey guys, welcome to the show. I think, as I mentioned in our pre-call, the last time we spent together any time in person was in Bordeaux, France at an event in October of 2019. Wow, how things have changed. I wonder if you both could catch up to our audience a little bit on Unconventional Ventures and your new book, Beyond Good. How much time do you have, Jim? (laughs) We got all the time you need. I think real quick, 2020 is um, a year to be remembered and also a year that I would much rather forget for a lot of aspects um, that we don't need to get into. The good thing is we're all healthy. That's all that matters. Um, We were very, very much busy, I think, as you were as well, adjusting to, you know, the life of no travel. As you said, the last time we met each other was in Bordeaux. We have switched all of our work to digital. So we've been able to luckily and fortunately connect with our clients as well as with our audience through virtual conferences, through webinar and and all of those. And and I think, Jim, you touched a lot on that, is how we have to reinvent how we deliver content and how we reinvent engaging with, with our audience. So that part was an interesting learning curve. We've been busy writing the book, as you said, last year was, was a learning experience on how to manage having kids doing virtual learning at home, trying to, as a parent, figure out how to address their anxiety because of so much uncertainty and everything's going on and trying to carry out work. I think it gives us perspectives, new perspectives on um, some of the challenges that, you know, definitely a lot of working parents have, but also gives us perspective on what needs to be changed, right? A lot of the inequalities that we have seen through COVID was not new. They were just amplified, right? The fact that, you know, a lot of communities of color, women, they suffer the most. A lot of them, even through the stats that we have seen, is that even when new jobs are being created and people get reemployed again, those communities never got the chance back. And so the question now is, how do we build back better? And Bradley, from your perspective, how this whole process, and if you can also spend a little bit of time on unconventional ventures and how it relates to your new book. I think, you know, when Theo and I kind of came out of, I don't know, I, I wouldn't say that she kind of came out of, you know, corporate America um, because she's been in a lot of different types of fields, the engineer that she is engineering such a career. Coming out of sort of a large bank, 
I think, you know, I had spent about a year looking at doing a B2B fintech fund and sort of working along the lines of doing investment and sort of taking the years of working with startups into another gear. And when Theo came out of AARP and we were talking about what we wanted to do, you know, it just turned out that we both had an opportunity to dive into the things that we felt were most impactful of all the work that we had done over the past several decades and put that into a business. So Unconventional Ventures works with corporates and startups and different people that are engaged in the financial services ecosystem to talk to one another, to learn from one another, and to position themselves to help the most people they can. And so I think, you know, everything that we kind of stand for and everything that we write about and everything that we do through the podcast and through the book and through real our efforts with our clients is about making banking better. It's about making technology work better. And it's about, you know, the thought process of changing the way you look at what you do and changing, you know, sort of the meaning of what you do to help more people. And even in banking, you know, that actually still means something to a large number of people. I think they just need the nudge to start looking at what they do a little bit differently. Hence the book. Well, it's interesting because, you know, corporate world, especially banking, they would talk a good game. And and many organizations did very well with community groups and missions, but many of them were spot-based and and maybe financially based. And, you know, they'd say, well, we're going to donate this much to here and this much to here. And they'd move that money around. And I remember building grants and and looking for money from financial institutions and non-financial institutions. And they kind of wrote checks to do good. What's interesting, and and one of the aspects that we've researched and and found that consumers now more than ever, certainly prompted by COVID, looked outside and said, let me see who I'm doing business with. And more than ever, I want to do business with those firms that think like me. Now, sometimes it takes a little bit more digging to feel like, you know, okay, this organization, does Amazon or Google think like me? But it, it may have nothing more than the fact that you're trying to save me time and that makes me feel better. Or you've made a commitment to educating your employees to be ready for the future. So did COVID really even open the door wider for your mission and your message around doing good beyond simply a a good PR team? Yeah, I think what we have seen, and it's not just COVID, right? It's COVID as well as the Black Lives Matter movement and all of the social movement that the country and, and the society at large has gone through. I think it has opened up more people's eyes as to there's more that can be done and needs to to be done. So I'm going to give you an example. I I won't name the name of the company because I think that would be too apparent. But you can see how much they are willing to, quote unquote, put aside to help lift up the Black communities versus how much money they're actually making, right? And so when you see that correlation, you start to think for yourself, well, is that a PR line item or they actually truthful about wanting to do more? And and I want to address something too, is when we think about wanting to do good, as you mentioned in the very beginning, when we started the conversation, it's not about donation. It's not about, you know, philanthropy. It's there is a way that you can have a sustainable business 
and do good at the same time, right? And that's the premise of the book is we're trying to highlight companies and people that are on that path is there is a viable path. So, you know, we use examples like aspiration. That is a great example of focusing on sustainability and at the same time being a viable business. Or like, you know, companies like uh, Jimmy's Propel is a great company. It's fintech based in New York City that's looking at demographics, people that are in foot stamps, right? People that banks typically don't think about and using technology to help them None of these companies are companies that are, you know, just, just, they are beyond more than just mission-based. They are actually funded business. They are viable business. And these are people that are trying to do good at the same time, trying to show people that there is a pathway. Bradley, from, from your perspective also, you know, you worked in financial institutions and, and you've seen how they work from, from both sides of the desk. Have you seen from the perspective of what's happened since since COVID, that there's more attention being paid to and probably more of an internal commitment to get employees engaged in, commitment to, we'll keep on referring to the words doing good because I think that it's very applicable here, but do you see more of a commitment to doing what's right for the ecosystem overall as well as for the world? I, I kind of look at it this way, and I take some experience, you know, from where I've worked and think about this past year in that context. I really, you know, grew into financial services, working in community banks and a credit union before I joined Santander. And the difference between the conversations in, you know, who you serve and how you serve them is very, very different as you scale and very, very sort of removed from the customer or the member. And so, you know, I've been in rate meetings across the board with these institutions, smaller to big. I've been in compliance meetings. I've been in customer experience related meetings. And I've been in conversations with customers and members directly. The difference between, you know, a, a Santander that has 140 million customers and a credit union that has, you know, 25 or 50,000 members or a community bank where I worked in mechanics that has maybe 150,000 customers, maybe now, you know, maybe double that with a couple mergers, but still it's so different. And so doing well by in, in doing good is concurrently embedded in your business model. And we've seen very, very few companies at scale that I think can maintain that. And going back to, you know, thinking about what that means, you know, post COVID, it has to be more than PR. It has to be more than, you know, just, hey, this is one way that we could look good in the press and maybe get a couple more customers in this particular demographic. It's not about that. You know, everything that we talk about in the book is sort of taking the experience that we've had as organizations get larger and, and sort of breaking apart what traditionally are sort of the thesis of these business books, which is basically let's make more money. Let's have goals that make more money. And so, you know, the title kind of comes from a riff of Good to Great, right? So Good to Great was Jim Collins' big book that still sells almost half a million copies a year, right? right. It's a 20-some-odd-year-old book. And I, I looked back at that book because it was one of the earliest ones that I read. They, they point out these companies that sort of centralize around their efficiencies. And the model of management is to go around those efficiencies and make as much profit as you possibly can. Awesome for the people that are at the top of those organizations, not so awesome for your customers. And so, you know, we've seen very, very few companies 
that get so big that still have the, the thesis of why they exist to really define themselves around their customer and the benefit to the customer. And at most banks have lost their way completely lost their way. And COVID has not changed that. It's we, as we saw, you know, through the rollout of PPP and the way that, you know, they looked at taking care of their most profitable customers first, their largest customers first. And so, you know, there's a lot of lessons in here. So we just need to keep on going forward and, and keep on pressing that model. But there is hope though, right? I mean, and I think that's what yeah. we wanted to highlight is that as much pain has happened in the in the past year. So there is hope because there are people that are actually trying to carve out a different way. Like one of my favorite examples in banking is Sunrise Banks. And and David spent, you know, a, a couple of pages highlighting his story. And I think it was very inspirational. And, you know, whether or not you buy the book, I, I think, you know, I, I do hope people do check them out because it is a bank that he bought with his father 25 years ago. Now we're thinking about banking and we're looking at Throughout the past 25 years, they have been able to grow it to $1.4 billion in assets. And they focus on serving communities of core people of color. They're focusing on serving immigrants, for example, right? So normally these are not the demographics that, you know, a, a bank would be looking at. But that's what they do. And so, you know, we love his example because he's a certified B Corps and he has shown us how you can actually be a purposeful banker, for lack of a better word, and, and be able to make a profit and have a good business. When you look at this, it feels to me very similar to the challenge we have moving legacy banks to being digital banks. A lot of this gets down to legacy leadership, legacy thinking the profit motive for profit itself, the lowering of costs as being a, a prerequisite to a good business objective. But what we find is when we look at organizations trying to change to be digital banks, it becomes an identity thing. It's interesting because if an organization simply says, I want to be digital, that's wholly different than saying, I want my identity to be like X organization that is already digital. That that's who I want to aspire to as a as opposed to a goal. And and I'm wondering, you know, you brought it up, Bradley, that, you know, legacy organizations with legacy thinking and legacy beliefs and business models and everything else, most organizations have normally looked at the giving to the community as a offset against the normal profit motive, against the normal, normal model. But you actually in the book and, and in your writings and in your podcast show that these are not mutually exclusive issues and they don't have to work against each other, that doing good or going beyond good, to coin your book, is actually a strong business model for the future, correct? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's it's the best business model for the future. You know, it's it's a call out, you know, to get people to think about the fact that they can have a, a significant amount of profit still and do more for our communities that we serve, that we're privileged to serve. And so when you, when you think about, you know, the average financial institution over the last several decades has made more money than most oil companies have historically. And so when you look at that and you say, okay, so what is the purpose of a bank? 
and you think and you think and you think and you look at digital transformation efforts and you look at you know why people are going digital and why more you know tens of millions and billions are being spent within these banks it's to make more money it's to make you know a a larger or a similar profit margin than it has, has historically had and then when you get down to it and you say okay well what is um, the goal of these large institutions and you start looking at the people that are working within them and the people that are working with them, them want to help customers. The problem is sometimes that there's a disconnect between the overarching strategies yeah. and the needs of those customers. So if you were to look at, you know, an aspiration or another type of bank that changes their model to take care of the environment, that takes care of the people in their communities, that gives back not for a PR purpose, but to actually change the lives of the people they serve, you could do that at scale. And as technology continues to drive down the cost of being able to do more and more things for your customers, there's no reason to think that, you know, a Chase or a City or a Bank of America can significantly shift the purpose that they are as a bank to continue to not just, it's not just serving, you know, the underserved, quote unquote, or the people that are unbanked, quote unquote. It's about serving the needs of every single person and meeting and improving their financial lives over time. Problem is we look too short-sighted. We have too many projects and, you know, too many things that we work on within the industry that don't look beyond a couple quarters or they're killed off until, you know, they show profit. Well, there's so many things that we've worked on within the organizations that we've been a part of that would have made significant improvements in people's lives that just weren't given enough time. So that's a lot of what we talk about in the book. Well, it's interesting because it's a long-term thinking perspective and, you know, we continue to see the problems. I mean, we looked at ATMs. We said, oh, that's to make it more convenient for consumers to do banking. No. Every way we sold ATMs in the bank back in the day that I was a management trainee at National City Bank was, oh, the more transactions we get out of the branch, the more we'll save money. The same was true with online banking. You know, the more people we moved to this, we kept on saying to improve the customer experience. That was the overarching perspective we put on it. But internally, we always sold it on how we were going to make more money that way, as, as you said, Bradley. And, and the challenge is, as you said, taking that longer term view, realizing that those organizations that are doing really good things can actually make more profit because of because I think because of COVID and the awareness that consumers have had, they don't necessarily want to be associated with a firm that's not going to look at things the way they look at things. And you know what's interesting about this, and I'm going to throw this way to your to you, Theo, but you know with Black Lives Matter, an interesting and very touchy subject because in the U.S. and internationally. It also is a political thing. And I, I mean political, not in the political party sense, as much as it's a very sensitive thing. It's a, it's, do I want to commit to that? And you can see the slowness of reaction time by many organizations as to, geez, how do I react to this without potentially irritating half my base? And then they found that the world did not collapse when they made a commitment. And, and you could see the firms that simply did it the old-fashioned way going, we're going to donate this much money to X, as opposed to truly believing in this. And where I'm going with this is the one difference that I believe, I see when I'm talking to and when you're talking to, between fintech firms and traditional financial institutions is that most fintech firms are committed to a purpose as part of their origin. 
They've identified their customer base. They've identified what they want to do to make it better. Sometimes it's simply making banking better, but sometimes, such as current and viral, some others, it's to serve a specific segment of the population that's been underserved, using data and digital personalization to make it so you can actually reach out to those that maybe had never been touched before. Uh, Theo, do you see the, the impact of fintechs being much greater in the aspect of what I'll say doing good? I mean, to me, it seems very different. I think the potential is there. We're not there yet, right? So if you look across the spectrum, doesn't matter if it's in the United States or in you know the Europe, for example, a lot of these fintechs look very much alike. You know, they come up with a better onboarding experience. They come up with you know a debit card that's made of wood. They come up with all kinds of gimmicks, right? You know, a cute little chatbot, a better UI, a better UX. Does that solve the fundamental problem of people not having enough money? No. Does that solve the fundamental problem that we have a huge economic divide between the have and have nots? No. Does that solve the fundamental problem that a lot of the underrepresented demographics in the United States and abroad have a hard time recovering from financial crisis? It doesn't, right? Having a more beautiful UI doesn't solve anything. Being able to onboard somebody in 30 seconds versus, I don't know, five hours does not solve that fundamental problem. I think the challenge is the potential of using technology to do good is there. But it goes back to the purpose of what you're trying to do, right? If you started the company with the purpose of, I just want to create a better user experience and, and all of those, and it comes back to the people that start the company. That's why we focus so much on having a diversity, right? Not just diversity of gender, but diversity of ethnicity, diversity of background. Because unless you have gone through a lot of those experiences yourself, or unless you come from those backgrounds, you do not fully appreciate the challenges that people have. So when you have everyone that look exactly alike that graduated from the exact same college, the problem set that they're trying to solve is very narrow compared to the larger challenge that we have in the society. And, and, and that's what we're trying to change, right? When we're saying, you know, we need to pay more attention to underrepresented demographics, when we say we need to pay more attention to older adults, it's because of that. It's because there are so many challenges that can be solved if we're thoughtful about what we're doing. And there was a, a report recently that uh, somebody shared from the UK. It was a really, really good read. And it was a shocking or perhaps not too shocking result that they say a lot of the findings that they have done is that the fintech entrants, right, the startups, have so far not been able to close the gender gap in access to financial services, because that's what we all say. You can't just create something and say, here you go. Access is not just the only problem. There's a fundamental challenge that we need to resolve. Bradley, before we take a break, I wonder, could you give me a couple examples of organizations that you interviewed and you've looked at that seem to be doing things the right way and, and still making money doing it? So, so we started with things like culture and we talked to the founding members of MX and the way that they sort of look at the purpose of data and the use with their clients. And 
you know, they support an awful lot of credit unions and community banks. That's really been their focus to change the way that money management is done so that they could have a direct impact leveraging personal data in order to really focus on improving financial lives. And their programs are associated with that. And so, you know, when you found a company with that mindset, I think your entire business model starts to evolve and revolve around helping customers. And that I don't think is, is lip service. I, I really you know, think that they have made a difference and they've launched now, I think, in 1,200 different financial institutions. We looked at, you know, everything from the way that companies like PayPal and Flourish, um, which is part of a mid-year, looks at investing in solutions that are associated with financial services. And so when we looked at companies like Steady, we looked at companies like Stuvo, we look at companies that are improving people's ability to purchase food, water, and shelter, to understand how their financial lives are impacted by everything from how much they're spending on subscription services to how they're using credit. There are, I think, 130 some odd different examples in here that pull back to things like um, what we did with a mid-year and flourish um, a couple of years ago, we launched sort of a business model review for fintechs to talk about how they can make money and not have an extractive relationship with their customers. There's so many ways that you can be in banking, have a fintech startup that is more geared toward a better financial outcome across, you know, our financial lives. And you know, that's, that's what we're trying to get at here is that there are so many ways that, you know, we've seen sort of companies go awry because of the type of funding that they've received and because of the pressure, just like a for-profit, you know, publicly traded bank to show an impact. And that impact always comes down to profitability. So that's been the challenge. But you know, we see good things happening at companies like BBVA and at Goldman Sachs. And, you know, large companies can change and large companies can serve people in different ways. You know, it's interesting you bring up MX because MX, it actually permeates the entire organization, the way they they work with their employees, the way they treat their employees. I mean, I it's exciting how we have a situation with MX where they have Tuesday lunches in the summer, which they used to bring in the whole family and have people so they could spend time with their own family. And that's a pretty big deal. So let's take a short break here and recognize the sponsor of this podcast. Is your organization trying to embrace digital banking transformation in 2021? Are you trying to elevate the customer experience? Figure out what technology you want to implement to improve the customer journey. Look at data analytics, to really better understand and personalize the customer experience. And you're trying to make it so that more of your employees can buy into and be part of your digital banking transformation. If this sounds like you, I ask you to reimagine banking with our newest podcast sponsor, Microsoft. They give you the opportunity to unlock new opportunities at speed throughout innovative business models, deliver differentiated customer experiences across channels, products, and services, and redefine new ways of banking. Microsoft and its partner ecosystem help banks to achieve differentiation through sustainable growth, streamlining core systems, 
reducing cost and risk, and delighting customers and employees. If you're in the midst of a journey, trying to figure out what to do next, maybe trying to find out what other organizations are doing to lift up their experience level, I really encourage you to look at Microsoft. For more information, visit Microsoft.com slash financial services. Welcome back to Banking Transform. So I'm joined today by Theo Lau and Bradley Limer, co-founders of Unconventional Ventures and also the authors of the brand new book, Beyond Good, How Technology is Leading a Purpose-Driven Revolution. And I'm really wondering, you know, as we're, as we're talking today, let's go a little bit different and look at how you reach, who you need to reach, and, and what you're trying to accomplish with the, the demographics that you're serving. So Theo, starting with you, Overall, there are so many aspects of doing good, ranging from uh, gender equity to, to racial equity to age equity. Where are you focused the most? And who are the companies you're trying to reach to actually make a difference? I think as we're thinking about needs, right, there are needs across any slice of the demographics that you, that you can think about. With my backgrounds, obviously, I, I typically gravitate towards what can we do to help people live a more financially secure life as we get older, right? So I, I do talk a lot about older adults, but the gist of it is, and you know, as you and I talked about quite a few years ago, we all start getting older the minute we were born, right? So we're looking at our little kids that's running outside to the three of us sitting in here. Every single day we are getting older and the way that we are living it's changed as well, right? Since the early 1900s, we have gained an extra 30 years of living. And so if we just look at, you know, this very small sample of the three of us, of what we are doing right now, how we are earning a living has changed. I don't think, you know, what we're doing today, people would have, you know, been able to imagine this 20 years ago, right? And the fact of the matter is, is there still a retirement? Or what does quote unquote retirement looks like? And so when we start thinking about all the different aspects of living and working and earning and the different is changed, then we start thinking about what do we do with our money? What is our relationship with money then? Because obviously we can't just wait for social safety net and wait for a pension to, to drop. All of that has changed as well. And so a lot of the work that we try to do is to help different organizations reimagine what does the longevity mean to their business, right? How do we create a system that can help people maintain their skill sets or upskill or reskill, whatever the, the, the word of the day is, but essentially is help them reinvent themselves or disrupt themselves. Jim, I'm borrowing your word from, from two years ago. How do they continue to stay connected to the society that they're in, how do we help them create employment opportunities, right? So such as the gig work, or we like to call the future of work. And how do we help them leverage the technology that's available for them to better manage their money and better plan for the future? Because it doesn't stop. It's not like you blow a birthday cake of 60 birthday candles and off you go and down the cliff. Um, we're constantly changing and evolving. And so a lot of the work that we try to do is cost this as an opportunity 
for companies to rethink their business model, to rethink the service offerings they can provide to people. Bradley, when you're going to see an organization, what's the biggest hurdle that you face in trying to get your message not across? Because I don't think people can disagree with the message and the mission, but to actually get it implemented. What is the biggest challenge in moving forward? I don't think, you know, change just happens on its own. The spark that's necessary is the conversation that you have about serving people in a different way or serving different people. So working, you know, with credit unions or working with banks or fintechs that are focused on sort of one market, that's where you kind of start. And, you know, you you have to kind of ask the question, what are you trying to get out of as a business? And, you know, too many times you hear from founders or too many times you hear from boards that you talk to or executive teams, well, we're trying to, you know, take care of our customers and we're trying to take care of our institution and we're trying to take care of our employees. And that was, you know, one of the, the primary missions of the community bank that I worked at for so many years was that if you take care of your customers, the rest will follow. And and that's really where you start. But it's it's an acknowledgement, I think, of the who you are taking care of and who you're capable of taking care of, which I think needs to change, especially within our industry. And so we talk about, you know, the longevity economy and we talk about the opportunity with older adults because too many people in the industry think of older adults as deposits. <laughs> I'm not a real good example of that. I just I just refinanced and took down a bigger mortgage. So I'm, well, well I'm see that you have credit needs even as you age, right? And oh, you gosh, have, yes. you know, different types <laughs> of challenges. And, and you're paying off student loans, Jim. We know that, yeah. right? Yeah. So so that's one area. Taking care of small businesses is another. And I think too many institutions think, oh, there's nothing that we could do for small businesses. We're a consumer bank. And, and that's not true either. They're becoming innately similar, as we're good examples of. I mean, a lot of small businesses are simply a consumer. They, they haven't expanded into, you know, a 25 person. 15 to 20% of every single consumer base of every single financial institution in this country is a small business into itself, yeah. right? Yeah. So that's, that's the kind of discovery that, you know, looking at your customers differently, that's what it takes is to think about who you're serving and how you're serving. And it doesn't always have to be a product and service. It could be a partnership. It could be just connectivity. It could be content. And, you know, taking care of the needs of women. Are you kidding me? I just saw like a, a metric that said that women have $83 trillion in spending power. Who makes the decisions in your household about how you spend money? Certainly not me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the same. You're exactly right. It's been the way it's been forever that the women are guiding the checkbook in many ways in both how they bank and what they represent and who they care about. You know, and they're making the choices. We would make the argument that women should be more in the boardroom and the executive teams because I think that would yeah. change business, you know. And, yeah. and you know, you don't have to have a day to celebrate women. You don't have to have a day or, you know, a, a month-long movement to celebrate people of color. You don't need, you know, a day or a couple, you know, weeks to celebrate people that are LGBTQ. You just, you don't. You'd look at people as people. You look at businesses as serving those people and you combine those two into a purpose. And that's what we are missing. It is not a check. It is not a moment. It is a movement. And I think that this book is just one piece of what we're seeing in the marketplace. And, you know, frankly, there's so much more that needs to be done. And there's so many people that want to join this. They want to join the purpose. And that's what we're yeah. trying to find within each organization is those people that are going to be that spark. It gets back to leadership. We sound almost like we're we're talking to ourselves sometimes because you say leadership's got to re-envision not only who they are, but who their organizations are. 
Theo, uh, you know, to, to kind of wrap this all up into a nice tight bow, you know, if you were to reach out to any organization and that organization said, what is the first thing I need to do? What, you know, if I can't do everything you want me to do and what's the first thing they need to do that is not theoretical, but is more implementational? Look around the people that make the decisions in your company and make sure they don't look all alike with each other because the rest just trickle down, right? If you have people that look alike, that think alike, that come from the same background, what you do will be similar. What you try to solve will be similar. And I would challenge that the solutions that we come up with will be boring, right? And, and that goes back to, you know, who are you trying to solve? Who are you trying to serve? If the people you're trying to serve is a diverse demographics of people, then the people that make the decisions, the people that create the products and solution sets have to reflect that. You know, it's interesting. It's something you said earlier. This is true in the fintech firms as well. We've, you know, we've seen a couple of studies recently around the fact that the diversity of the boards and the ownership of fintech firms is surprisingly correlated to what we saw in the banking industry. And it's interesting because when I talk quite, as you guys know, quite a bit about digital transformation, I mentioned the fact that how do you think you're going to be transformed when your entire management team came up to the organization together, played golf together, would all belong to the good old boys network? Because I'll guarantee you it's 80% white males. I'm sorry, in most organizations. How do you think you're going to start to think differently if you're all listening to each other and believing that you've got it all figured out. Now, the good news is the shocker to the system was COVID in digital transformation and in social responsibility and sustainability, you know, where what's great is you have a recent case study on what it means to be ignorant for lack of anything politically correct there. You know, Bradley, before we get off the, the line today, why don't you share with people how to get your book? Because it's brand new. Well, well, Beyond Good is is being sold everywhere fine books are sold, of course. Um, <laughs> you can go to koganpage.com, which is K-O-G-A-N-P-A-G-E.com, and you could find it there. But of course, it's going to be on Amazon. It's going to be on every single online service. And eventually, it'll be on some shelves, I think, because uh, we're, we're, we're eventually going to be uh, in the real world again. And just, you know, again, it's a call to action. It's a call to have more voices heard. It's a call to push those voices forward. And, you know, it's a way that organizations can look at others that have done good in society and go beyond good. So I thank you both for being on the show. It's interesting because my history, both of you, has been extended in that we, we go back a long ways. Neither one of you have marched to the beat of a normal drummer, and that's good. What I'd like to do is I'd like to get your commitment today to come back on the show and Give us an update in, let's say, a year, because hopefully things get a little bit more back to normal, but not back to normal from the perspective of the vision of the community. And I say community as in the people, places, the communities, and the corporations, because I think your message, you're, you're beating the drum loud and hard, and it's a, it's a very valid prospect. You have an open marketplace because there's a lot of organizations that need your help and help of others like you. But I, I think we're starting to see a shift, hopefully. We're seeing in sports, 
we're seeing it in business. And, you know, I look to sports as being a bellwether to the way the, the marketplace moves and hopefully this helps. So guys, I really appreciate your time. Thank you for being on the show. It's been too long since we've been together and my book's still in the mail because I ordered the hardback. I didn't want to take the easy way out. I figured, I know you make tons of money on every book sold, snark, snark, but I figured, you know what, this is a book I'm not going to throw out or read and, you know, take it off my playlist. Um, I wanted to have a hard copy so I can highlight it. So thank you very much, guys. Appreciate your time. Thanks for having us, Jim. Thank you, Jim. You know, what a great interview with Theo and Bradley, who are good friends of mine from way back, but they've really taken on a mission that is bigger than a bread box. Um, in much the way we're trying to transform organizations to be digital financial institutions, we also need to transform organizations to be more aware of how they can make a bigger impact on their community and the world as a whole. That goes both from environmental to gender equity, to age equity, to racial equity, both external and internal. They really gave us a lot to think about and really look internally to ourselves to say, are we doing our best? Are we going beyond good? Thanks for listening to Banking Transform, rated as a top five banking podcast. I genuinely appreciate your support you have provided since we started this endeavor. If you enjoy what we're doing, please be sure to subscribe to the Bank and Transform podcast on your favorite app. In addition, please take 30 to 45 seconds to show some love in the form of a review. It really means the world to us. Finally, be sure to catch my recent additions to the financial brand and check out the research we're doing on digital transformation, the future work in banking, retail banking innovation, and our newest report, The Trends and Predictions for 2021. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our producer, Leah Longbreak, our audio engineer, Sean Rule Hoffman, and our video producer, Will Pritz. I'm your host, Jim Roos. Until next time, make every day a learning and giving experience. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.